0: This episode is brought to you by Serpentes Infrastructure. If the traffic gridlock in your city has become unbearable, there is an option that has been demonstrated to solve it, 100% guaranteed, Serpentes Infrastructure. They've cut through the Gordian knot of urban density issues worldwide with their patented one weird fix, giant snakes. When you employ their engineers, they'll lay one of their massive serpentine kaijus onto your busiest street or blocked up bridge or tunnel. They'll install some plausible brick facades around the gaping maw, and hooray, your traffic has gone from congestion to digestion. And satisfied customers who have employed their rapacious reptiles have reported over time significant decreases in pollution and skyrocketing rents and other quality of life headaches endemic to overcrowded metropolis. And while you're ordering, check out their other population management solutions such as a daily carousel ritual or apply to beta test their latest pilot product giant holes and thank you Serpentes infrastructure for sponsoring the re-reading wolf podcast this episode is brought to you by the support of generous listeners just like you you can learn how to be one of them at patreon.com slash wolf and thank you listener patrons for supporting the re-reading wolf podcast
1: warning The following discussion is deliberately riddled with spoilers and unhinged speculation on this nearly 40-year-old book, Gene Wolfe's The Book of the New Sun. You can't read a Gene Wolfe story. You can only reread a Gene Wolfe story.
0: Welcome to Rereading Wolfe. We don't pretend that this is the first time you and we have read these books. We want to understand them in as much detail as possible, and that means considering the works as a whole.
1: Hi, I'm James
0: Wynne, And I'm Craig Brewer. Hello, James. Hi, Craig. <laughs> wow, that's more energetic than you were a second ago.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I turn I mean, on. <laughs> imagine what
0: happens when that little red light comes on.
1: But it's showtime. It's
0: it's a busy time of year, this, this old Christmas time. Yeah, I haven't even plugged. I haven't. Well, I've been too busy to plug it. I've been too behind on actually getting weird Christmas stuff out in order to plug it. So, <laughs> so there's nothing to plug yet. Hopefully, maybe when people hear this, maybe
1: the first one will be up, but we'll see. Well, you know why I'm so excited, really. We have corrections. Hey, you was wrong. You was wrong. We haven't played that music in a while. Uh, so on Reddit, Neil Smith Neil says Good episode, as always. However, you mixed up some of the reader comments between Mike Farrar. Oh. and i and he should get credit for those <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it, it, it was mike Ferrar's curiositas Earthus regarding the Rod jewels being white robe servants in Syriaca's tale not neil and uh mike didn't take any hard feelings though and he kindly directed us to his reddit post on the subject from a year ago um, mm-hmm. dreams and dream weapons and you can search for it on reddit or find the link in the show notes
0: I have to say, I'm surprised we don't do that more often. And that does bring up the other thing that I want to say a very hearty thank you to a lot of the new master patrons mm-hmm. who haven't been commenting a lot lately, because <laughs> that <laughs> means I don't have to go find all the, the various clips that we do have saved and we do have <laughs> organized. But if we have ever forgotten someone and like used a comment and forgot to play your clip, just let us know. And we'll give you a special extra clip.
1: And yes, that's right. That's right. Fun. We'll play it.
0: But so far, we'll, no. So it's always good. I always, as the number of those gets up there a little bit more, I always yeah, get th- nervous. I'm like, how are we going to keep it Always a straight? chance.
1: Yeah. But
0: it's worked so far.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of patrons, uh, on the Patreon site, Stephen Hampshire says, on the subject of the saucer knots, it seems pretty clear to me that they're not like Merlin living backwards. They live forwards, but can only travel backwards in time. It feels to me that they're working their way backwards to inflection points, fiddling with the timeline until they achieve a goal. That's, yeah, that's kind of like uh, Mantis's view of the whole idea.
0: And I, that sort of just because my pet peeve about wanting to know how exactly detailed they're going back in, that one I like because it then makes sense Cause otherwise I'm always like, ah, but, but does that mean in this moment you're back? And that just gets confusing. <laughs> so I kind of like that. Cause it does give a little more organization, yeah. to it. but it uh, also, to me, it makes them make a little bit more narrative sense, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't, I, I still don't think we really know. Well, yeah.
1: oh, so do you, do you, what do you think? Do you think they, they camp out for a while in a particular area? Do they, like man has suggested that maybe they live there for years going forward and, and
0: back. I don't yeah. know. I I still feel like with the the way that the quarters of time are discussed, people move around strangely. And mm. if you're able to get outside of it, like uh, I would assume that if they're yasadi that they would be spending most of their time outside of Raya, like not necessarily hanging around here, but they would literally just be somewhere doing yasadi things and
1: hmm. You think they have other jobs? You think this you don't think going back in time and doing all the things they do isn't a full-time job
0: seems like manipulating the <laughs> actions of various potential multiverse candidates from the past to affect your own creation would require a lot of research so it <laughs> does seem like they'd have to spend a lot of time in those weird computerized catacombs on your side but i i don't know i don't know. i mean i i truly really don't know it does totally remind me though okay total segue there is a wonderful wonderful canadian christmas show that has three wise aliens who always make me think of these guys it's called <laughs> a cosmic christmas and on the cover if you just go google it you're gonna see three like alien looking dudes and one is actually kind of shorter and rounder kind of like i always imagined ospego so anyway yeah cosmic christmas worth your time it also features a duck
1: <laughs> well of course it does <laughs> uh, on the other hand you know you think about it, you get little severian He's visited by three wise rodjuls. There's talking beasts. Uh, his mother stands over him. His you know his father is has to take a kind of a, a bit of a back seat.
0: Ah, uh, you know that's okay. That even after I said that, even though I made the joke, I didn't make. I don't know why I didn't make the connection to the <laughs> the to the r three and the wise men. But huh. That could, yeah. there could well be some of that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Having
1: sex with your okay. granny, I don't know that I can work <laughs> that part in, but um,
0: uh, you, know, you got to go non canonical. The <laughs> Bible works for that. Maybe in the, uh, probably not the book of Thomas. You got to go, got to go really apocalyptic. <laughs>
1: <impossible. laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's there. I'm sure it's there. Oh, and by the way, Stephen Hampshire has more to say. He says, as for why the claw and Severian doesn't heal Jalinta, well, maybe it does some. She is able to walk on her own shortly after. Perhaps she has become dependent on Talus's artificial gimmicks and healing of her is actually leaves her unable to function. Yeah, that's, I, I guess you're saying something like that.
0: Yeah, I, that's interesting. I And I wish there was more in the text that actually seemed to confirm that kind of idea because I like it a lot. I think it's really cool. I just don't know that we really get much in there that would lead us to think that, yeah, she is sort of getting better, which makes her worse or something like that. But Mm -hmm. I like the idea a lot.
1: I do. Yeah. It it was just that in healing her, he's eventually kills her, right? Mm -hmm. Because she doesn't want to be healed. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Also, Steven says, I'm not sure I agree that the miracles that Severian and the Claw perform are just movement in time, because I don't see that explaining the water into wine event mm, well true. or yeah. uh, unless it's you know urine into wine or something like that but <laughs> that is a good point but nothing really explains the water in the wine event if you're going to try and figure out some sort of rational reason for why it happens yeah on twitter adrian tchaikovsky says the conciliator as an animal with a human voice made me think of Orib from long sun though obviously not in wolf's mind at the time also, Baldander seeing Severian and everyone as animals in the prior scene. Animals compared to him, but, you know, more enlightened nonetheless. Mm. Oh, yeah, talking animals, yeah. And he also suspects that maybe the claw, just like Stephen, that the claw did work on Jalinta, but had begun undoing Talus's work on her and accelerating her decline. And maybe Severian, he says, recognizes this and is alighting it from guilt
0: that would be an explanation for why we don't really get much detail about that. It could be so, but there are so many other times when Severian's right that the claw isn't working. Um,
1: Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I need, I,
0: I should go reread again and see if there's, if if I can find something, because it's a definitely a speculation that seems like it should be right. I
1: think we're supposed to, um, of course, he's still trying to figure it out in earth of the new sun. Yeah, right. that's true. And finally, on Reddit, Mantis, Why we get so
0: serious?
1: Michael Andre DeRisi says regarding the conciliator bit about taking a dying woman by one hand and a star by the other, yes, Severian brings up Holy Catherine in his next utterance. And yes, y'all bring up Thecla and the other woman healed by the fickle claw. <laughs> but hang on. I'd like a chance to look through the other end of this telescope. That's not the way you use a telescope, Mantis. <laughs> Try the notion that everything in Severian's narrative is for an audience of one, Severian himself. The central pattern of repetition being the unspeakable, quote, you are going to kill dying Earth and youthful Ushus will rise up. The life's forms are mere parasites, like a patient's intestinal flora intentionally Wiped out after a regime of antibiotics. A little yogurt, and it is all good. In fact, it is better than before. So (laughs) the dying woman is Earth, not really a woman, and the star is a white fountain, not really a star. You know, uh, that's pretty cold, Mantis. (laughs) 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 All the life forms are mere parasites. Oh, great. (laughs) He also says, secondly, I'm not so sure this chapter marks Severian as being the conciliator. Wow. Okay. Wait a minute. He says, instead, I see it more strongly as being an untrained agent of the conciliator, operating under the aegis of the conciliator, such that the claw, working or not, shows the will of the conciliator, rather than the willpower or the psionic power of narrative Severian. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that still fits it's but he's managed a little um thematic uh curly whirlies in there but uh yeah i didn't think i wouldn't have thought of, i wouldn't have put it that way i would have put it more dry and narrative based but he's got it he's got the the uh actions and the theme all worked up together he also says related to that i think the claw failing to work an obvious miracle in this chapter is especially powerful since Dorcas saw the miracle of the flying cathedral way back when he first drew the relic from his man purse. So she is the only <laughs> other person on the planet with that memory. And then with all the preloading, the dingus fails to even glow. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I hadn't thought of the fact that Dorcas is kind of and Severian share kind of a secret about the claw I,
0: yeah I I do get that point and that that's like I said there's not really anything in the text to stand out as a clue that it actually was doing something so I'm I'm pretty sure this is the first big it doesn't work kind of <laughs> kind of moment right like, right the, yeah so that that that's a good point to point out sort of the the narrative contrast there yeah right. you keep the cool- charlatans and business babe. You appreciate your patronage it is the season of giving and we have new people who have been very giving to us and generous and we just want to say thank you again to all of the patrons our new folk this week are new journeyman joe chalewa and charles just charles and we have one new master patron, Joachim Berg.
1: Berg, Berg, Berg.
0: Thank you as always. Please check out patreon.com slash Wolf for all of the extra content that's up there right now. And don't forget that what we're doing right now is adding an extra Gene Wolfe story to the end of the Patreon version of this podcast on every regular episode so you just go over to Patreon set that up and by the way in the last episode or two where we did that we did put the instructions if you're a patron and want to have those versions put into your feed there are ways to do that with the RSS link so please take a look over at the show notes for the last couple of Patreon episodes over there otherwise thank you everyone thank you for your generosity and Merry Christmas Happy Holidays Festive Solstice or whatever it is you do
1: do you know what I love stories about, Craig?
0: Things Gene Wolfe wrote.
1: Snakes. Oh. snakes. 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 And, and Dorcas knows every story about snakes that you've ever uh, heard. Yeah. <laughs> Why did it have to be snakes? Chapter
0: 27, Toward Thrax.
1: Okay, so here we are. Still about 24 hours since Baldenders blew up the play. Talos and Baldanders have departed. It's Severian, Dorcas, and Jalenta, right? And we're still two and a half, roughly two two and a half weeks since Severian was exiled. Less than a month since the elevation ceremony. This is the fourth night since Severian and Jonas fled the Natchals, uh, encountered Hathor and Buzak, and were arrested on the House Absolute grounds. They spent the night in the antechamber and were attacked by the exultant youths. And then the next night, Severian slept fitfully. And then he and Jonas escaped and Jonas went through the mirrors. And the next day, Severian and Jolenta took their little cruise and then the play and Baldanders lost it. And Severian walked all night and slept all day. And then he ran into the troop again. Then they split. Talos and Baldanders are going to Lake Dieterna. Uh, Severian and the girls heading north not strictly the Thrax. Severian is primarily looking for word of where the pelerines are.
0: And the end of Claw is actually a little strange. There's a lot of short chapters. And
1: we're, we're rushing end really fast. Yeah, I here. mean,
0: just from in the tour version that we have right now, there's only, what, let's call it 25 pages left from where we are, but there's still five chapters. So um, the chapters do, on average, get a little bit shorter. In this and and just I don't know if that necessarily means anything. Um it just does get more compressed too that we have these sort of down chapters here. Um, right. or well, this one, but then the next chapter is some crazy Abaya stuff or crazy Jalenta stuff. Um and then we get crazy and then we get crazy witches and time travel You're right stuff. there's a lot left in these compressed little chapters
1: yeah well the chapters are short but like when we start getting into the undying and the witches i think we're gonna i think we're gonna spend a lot of time talking Mm -hmm. about those Mm
0: -hmm. oh there's definitely lots to talk about it just it does that wolf thing of i mean kim stanley robinson called it the slingshot endings where towards the end all of a sudden you get all this super compressed action where a lot of stuff happens and it raises tons of questions
1: exactly well think about how many chapters we've gone through now just progressing you know uh, four days mm-hmm. less than four days
0: yeah. and we have the play which is super dense but then we get we're in the third chapter of Severian just sort of still just moving around after the play with people splitting right, up right exactly and chatting and talking so it's definitely not what you would consider normal pacing is you're working up to you know you would think the cliffhanger if you're gonna finish right. the second novel of a three or four book series but yeah very different
1: mood yeah it's got its own time yeah there's no sense trying to predict how long everything is it, I, I think someone had mentioned uh recently i saw on social media that someone said you know it's it's weird when you're reading a, a wolf book and you think, oh, I think I'm about, feel like I'm about halfway through. And then suddenly you're at the end <laughs> and you realize, oh, no, the end was somewhere in the middle of the book. Yeah. <laughs> so let's see, they're walking through a, quote, stricken forest. In the last chapter, Severian mentioned that the leaves of the trees were pale green and light starved. And I suppose the sun is actually sinking, but had not yet completely done when, you know, when they started but they continue to walk for around an hour. That's a watch after it sets. And then they come to a little river. It's smaller than the guile and it runs faster. Yep.
0: And it's also here. They're on the edge of two different types of landscape. I guess you could say there's a forest on one side that they've just been in. And then he says they're coming to the edge of a field. So the river here is definitely kind of marking a boundary, um, which we're even gonna, of course, get a totally different kind of walking experience <laughs> a little bit with creatures <laughs> and some other things that happen. And, um, but yeah, they're with the landscape here, he's already marking some kind of change that's
1: happening. Yeah, yeah. And I now let's suppose that I'm right that the Guayol is literally or elusively the Uruguay River, and they're going north to uh to Thrax, and Thrax is, I in my mind, uh, short for cataracts, and it's literally or elusively uh, the Iguazu Falls. The, by some metrics, the largest uh, um, waterfall complex in the world. So the river here could be uh, the Rio quarai uh, uh, a smaller but significant river that branches off of the Uruguay. I've been unable to find the etymology of the names of that river. So, you know, it's hard for me to verify this. But they see fields of sugarcane on the other side of the river. And I don't guess it matters at this point. Jalinta, the, the undine, we don't actually get her named in this entire book. But, and Jalinta is, is falling behind them at a distance, weeping bitterly, exhausted. So they decide they're just going to stop here. And here at the riverbank, they find good sticks for firewood. I, I don't think it was ever made clear, but apparently Severian had been using the steel that he got from Baudelis to strike his flint to get fire. And only now does he realize he doesn't have that. And he left it with the Autark, you know, about 36 hours ago. He now realizes this guy was the highly placed servant who, you know, who paid Talos. Fortunately... Dorcas has a flint, steel, tender among her scant baggage, among her, all, you know, all her things. I don't know when she bought these things or was given them. I didn't even realize she was carrying anything, but she is, uh, and so they have a nice fire. It's a good thing that she is, you know, super prepared. Dorcas does everything better. She should be the hero of this story. Jalinta is afraid of a bear or something that will get her out here. Remember, she's a city girl. And uh, Severian explains that the soldiers would never allow dangerous wildlife to live in a forest so close to house absolute, which I don't really think is true.
0: Yeah, it definitely feels like a sort of made up explanation to try and (laughs) calm a child or somebody.
1: Right. Uh, You you know, yeah, I think it's just to keep Jalinta calm. And then they get, uh, I guess it does a little bit, and then they get three thick branches and they put, you know, just one end in the fire so that they can grab them if they need to, uh, something like that, to defend themselves. So uh, let's see, no monsters showed up and the fire keeps away the mosquitoes. At no point in the impossibly distant future has mankind defeated the mosquitoes. (laughs) so they all lie down and they watch the sparks fly into the air and they can see flyers passing overhead arriving at and leaving the house absolute apparently when they take off and land they generate these bright lights momentarily like (laughs) like maybe like the blast engines
0: and this isn't like watching the planes way high in the sky because he talks about false dawn and how these things are incredibly light yeah they
1: generate a false dawn yeah
0: yeah so definitely, like that to me makes me wonder, like, are they, do they fly lower than what we think of as planes or are they just huge and bright and we should you think of UFOs flying overhead and sort of lighting everything up. But yeah, definitely you go from that cool moment of like worrying about Flint and steel, right, to flying technology going over. So it's just a cool sort of atmosphere moment too of what it's like to be in this world. Of the two extremes.
1: And for the cartographers out there making their maps as we talk, uh, it's because he says it's false dawn, I would assume that the house absolute must be to their east. So Severian and Dorcas are thinking, looking down in their little fire, they figure the ministers and the generals wonder about them as much as they wonder about those fancy pants people. Who are those people? Where are they going? I think Severian yes, and Dorcas flatter themselves to think that those people thought of them at all.
0: It is a moment, though, that I think is reflected. The same kind of thought comes up in Long Sun somewhere, isn't it? Where they're sitting there mm-hmm. and looking at the lights on the other side, um, looking at the night and, and thinking, do yeah, they wonder yeah. about us the way we wonder about
1: them? I, and think about it. If you sit down, if you look at the stars, that actually makes a lot of sense. You can look at the stars and say, I wonder if there's someone oh, yeah. up there looking at our stars and wondering about us somewhere on some other planet.
0: In fact, doesn't is there someplace else in here where Severian does that? Did we actually I think he does that in Earth again, New
1: thing? Sun. He's sitting there and... Is that or, Earth? Okay. Or maybe it's in, in sort of Lictor where he uh, he thinks that he saw um, Hathor standing over him. Actually, I think that's the... That's I think that's I was where it is, too, yeah. Was that
0: scene where at first he's thinking about other light, other stars, right. other planets, and then... He decides two
1: of the stars are like his eyes or something like that, so... Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and then Dorcas sings, "quote a song about a girl who wanders through a grove in spring, lonely for her friends, of the year before, which were the following leaves." Um, you know, if if that's a folk song that we're supposed to recognize, it's lost on me, and I don't know of any theory that offers this suggestion. However, it does suggest Dorcas's own story, since here she is a leaf resurrected after winter, still spring remember and her friends are all gone
0: yeah that's what i thought it was i mean it'd be cool if there was an actual old song but it does seem so perfect for what dorcas really is that we don't necessarily know yet um but just such a cool you know dramatic irony
1: yeah someone needs to write that song though so we can all sing it
0: Certainly somebody out there listening wants to do that. Yeah, yeah. that. That'd be a deep cut for filk singing, though. Yeah. <laughs> In the second volume.
1: Of- <laughs> Just put it up there and say, hey, wait, that's not about science fiction. What are you, what are you doing? And Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. So uh, Jalinta is separate from them. She doesn't want to sleep near the woods where the Booga Bears might get her. And she's, you know, between the fire and the water, Dorcas and Severian are on the other side. Severian suggests that one of the reasons was that they wanted to be away from Jalinta, which is probably uncharitable. It It's really because Dorcas doesn't like to be too close to the water. She compares the river to a worm, which, of course, you know, a rotting body, and then to a, quote, a big ebony snake that is not hungry now, but knows where we are and will eat us by and by you know like death right
0: so we know why Dorcas is afraid of water but is there some connection there with Abaya being in the water as well I mean I'm just trying to think of sort of the the symbols within the book that Dorcas has her personal fear of water which we get but is there something also connected to that that fear of the sort of false resurrection with the megatherians under the water. I'm just, I'm just trying to think through the logic. Yeah. Well,
1: there is a megatherian minion. Right. 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 in in those waters and we're going to get to that. She's actually, that kind of leads her to thinking about a megatherian.
0: Just trying to think about all the ways that you kind of turn. I mean, water is sort of traditionally a symbol of rebirth and renewal and resurrection and, and like tons of Western literature stuff. This is turning all that on its head. So, which, which Dorcas, of course, mm-hmm. is the obvious is the obvious version of. But I suppose too, you could say that there's some kind of false sense of immortality with what Abaya promises, with the the larger size and longer life and
1: things yeah. like that.
0: I suppose. I suppose. I'm I'm way overthinking this moment, but I'm just like, well, that's what just, we do uh, here.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well done, sir. <laughs> But it's interesting you bring up, uh, you know, uh, you know, false immortality. You know, the snakes are traditionally a symbol of immortality because they shed their skin. And the idea true. is that they Very therefore true. live forever. And that comes up in um, Gilgamesh, right? Because the, the the snake gets the the fire, the, the flower mm. of resurrection, of ever living life, lasting life.
0: Well, um. Oh, did you see that they actually found a new page? Of the Gilgamesh? Episode. No, I'll have to find that for you. Yeah, it's it's apparently not very dramatic and not too much. Happened, but, um, <laughs> oh, it's
1: it's like the, is, it's like the the Severian get, getting away from the play. <laughs> yeah, that but portion. no, they
0: they either it was either a new uh, a new stone with a few extra verses that they had never had before or something. like uh, that. Cool. Yeah, so
1: pretty cool. So uh, well, anyway, that's a good point about s- snakes. Um, she asks Severian. Uh, are, aren't you afraid of snakes, Severian? <laughs> and we know that he's not because he wasn't afraid at all of the snake that he encountered in the jungle garden. But that's mostly because he probably doesn't know much about, you know, snakes and poisonous snakes. Certainly not giant constrictors. But Thecla definitely was afraid of snakes. And so Severian nods. Yeah, I'm afraid of snakes. And uh, Dorcas offers some lure that she's heard. Even though she's been dead for 40 years, and it is from some already decaying part of the city, well to the south of the Citadel, she seems to always know more about the world than Severian does, having grown up in a cloister, right? <laughs> it's true.
0: So Dorcas says, she, I've heard that in the hot forests of the north, the autarch of all serpents is Uro- is
1: Ouroboros, yeah,
0: Ouroboros, the brother of Abaya and that hunters who discover his burrow believe they have found a tunnel under the sea and descending it enter his mouth and all unknowing climb down his throat so that they are dead while they still believe themselves living. Though there are others who say that Ouroboros is only the great river there that flows to its own source or the sea itself that devours its own beginnings.
1: Okay. So there's just a lot of possibilities here, Craig. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Ouroboros is a symbol that goes back to at least three to five thousand years. The oldest instance of it was found in China on some pottery that was made by a Stone Age culture on the Yangtze River. The, the word is Greek for "tail eater," and it makes sense that Dorcas wants to talk about Ouroboros because it's associated with death and resurrection. For Jung, the Ouroboros is quote a dramatic symbol for the integration and assimilation of the opposite that is, the shadow. This feedback process is at the same time a symbol of immortality, since it is said of Ouroboros that he slays himself and brings himself to life, fertilizes himself, and gives birth to himself. For the alchemists, it was among other things, a unity duality symbol, like the yin-yang symbol or death and the lady. Uh, For the Gnostics, it was a 12 part dragon that encircled the world. Uh, That is, sorry, folks, the path of the sun going through the ecliptic, the, the zodiac. And for some Gnostics, they made a point of reversing everything. So for them, Ouroboros was the serpent in the Garden of Eden, the hero of the story who helped Adam and Eve defy the demiurge Jehovah and obtain the first gnosis, the first secret knowledge, by eating the fruit from the Tree of Knowledge. And elsewhere, it was the guardian of the Tree of Life, the keeper to immortality. Now, in the world of this novel, some people, where Dorcas lived in the south, said that Ouroboros is just a big river in the north that happens to somehow empty into its own source. I don't even know if that's actually possible. I can't think of an instance where that actually happens.
0: I guess if you had a big circular river. Uh, yeah, a big river circular that, river. That, maybe didn't came back yeah, to Yeah, that, that same, goes to the same place same where it point? goes. I don't think, but, but
1: yeah, without you it, a, you know, like a... a, a a water wheel or something i don't know how you could actually pull that off or maybe if you had like a, a geyser or something it would push it into it, forget about it i don't think it's gonna happen but i <laughs> i do think that there is like in in Play-Doh some talk about those kinds of rivers that go in a big circle but anyway the point is they say it's just a natural occurrence, which is something geographers often did in the ancient and medieval literature. And it is something the experts in wolf stories are inclined to do. That's just a, they just rationalize anything in myth. And then other people say that these legends are just a way of describing the ocean that surrounds Severian's continent and that people say encircles the world. And many people, I guess, have a flat earth concept of their planet, right? Or maybe they don't have an understanding of continents other than their own. And they, you know, and just their own and and the Eskians to the north. Mm -hmm. Finally, and this is the most interesting, obviously, there is the story that Ouroboros is a Megatherian, a brother of Abaya. Remember that, per Jonas, the Megatherians are not just large, they are geologically big. When you're walking up a mountain, it's not easy to say, you know, from the ground where you arrived at the base of the mountain and when you start climbing it. Yeah. So in this case, according to the story, people encounter Ouroboros and think they have just found a massive cave that goes into the water and under the water. And then she says they're literally devoured before they know it. And it's, it's really hard for me to imagine that a being that large literally feeds on unwary travelers. I suppose that what they know is that people who enter never mm. come back. Also, the Juru Pari, remember that this is to the north, right? These are stories to the north. The Juru Pari of South American mythology. Remember the Juru Pari gets a mention in the whatever it is that Agia scrawled on the stone outside of Agilis' cell. But the Juru Pari in some of the stories is actually mistaken for a cave.
0: So this is really cool because we've got all this immortality talk and we would think that resurrection and immortality would be a good thing, but Dorcas is saying all of this stuff about it being terrifying, Yeah, right? Like she brings it up as, as this is something that's horrific. and Anything
1: having to do with snakes for her is, is scary. Right.
0: Right. And it's not just personally bad for her, like the legends that she's telling, if they are in fact real, those are also ways that Ouroboros is not such a good thing outside in this world too like it's it but my point is that it's a cool moment where wolf is maybe talking about how there are maybe good and bad versions of resurrection and immortality and dorcas i think in some ways is a bad version by just sort of coming back but not necessarily really growing herself and since she says she's
1: still dead right yeah
0: yep she's still dead so now what that actually means like is it Theologically, or I don't know. I mean, it makes sense when we're talking about Earth and humanity as sort of like these grand cosmic forces. But is the idea then that personally, if you just want to live forever, or even just want to get resurrected after you die, that that's sort of a small thing? Whereas what you really should be hoping for is improvement, or I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to really trace that out but uh, um but what the good version might be is not just coming back again not just being the same thing coming back again which is kind of how she's what i feel like your boris here represents is just the same thing in a circle that just gets repeated over hmm. and over again instead think about the big thing of the play that i think we could all agree on that there are like multiple births of humanity and what you really want is a better one like you want to, to improve and evolve. I mean, the green Mm -hmm. man, the new Sun, all this stuff is about evolution. It's not just about starting humanity over, but it's actually about some kind of new birth that is higher and better. Right. A new creature. A new thing. Yeah. That's the whole point of what the Asadis are trying to do is help humanity get reborn as them, right. To, to be something bigger, but it's just a, for me at least it clarifies I feel that Wolf is very clearly here, not just saying that resurrection itself is supposedly a good thing, but that in this book, in the cosmology of this book, there really is a sense that only evolution, only a a sort of evolved repetition or evolved resurrection is really good. And that actually just coming back again, like Dorcas does, is actually kind of a tragedy. Um, And if you're going to try and pull a theological lesson out of that, which I, I don't know if you really can or not, but it's suggesting that if there is simple resurrection after death, that's not really, maybe that's not really good enough. That what real resurrection should be is actually a kind of purification or evolution kind of resurrection where... You know, it's not just like you get rewarded to live forever, but actually resurrection is part of a bigger plan in which something larger might be going on. Now, I don't know. I mean, I think that in terms of what's happening with earth in the long run, that's right. Whether or not you can easily apply that to very personal kinds of resurrection in the theology or how that would mesh with Christian ideas, I'm not really sure. But I do think it's important that wolf at least in this book is definitely thinking about a kind of good immortality and a bad immortality but i just wanted to mark market here is this is a place where i think it's really clear that wolf is sketched out two alternatives for immortality and resurrection
1: yeah good yeah. ways and bad ways uh, that's a good one that's pretty good and you know while Dorcas is talking about telling you these stories about <laughs> giant snakes, she's creeping closer and closer to Severian. and like she's scaring mm. herself. She's not yeah. planning to you know she's what she ought to be doing is she can get get really quiet and quiet and then, he, then the snake was coming up to grab you and then she and then and there he is. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know how to tell stories around a campfire for sure. But uh, Severian puts his arm around her and he knows or at least believes that she'd like to, you know, do it. Even though Jalinta is just on the other side of the fire and they can't be sure she's asleep. And when she shifts in her sleep because of her full hips, narrow waist and billowing hair, (laughs) uh, she tends to undulate like a serpent herself. I, I wonder if we're supposed to take... For me, I want to look for a, like a hint of that. Is there some connection between Jalinta and the Megatherium? Obviously, she, I guess like like the Undyne, she's a creature of Megatherian technology, right?
0: Maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, if if it, yeah, hard to say. Like if just if like Chiturna. I mean, yeah, it could be. And if that's the same kind of stuff that Baldanders was using and talus yeah did it i don't know maybe yeah maybe but uh definitely seems like it's not i would put it this way like thinking in terms of evolution it's not something that actually sticks with you and that helps you grow <laughs> it's just a cosmetic thing that right sort of has to be moment by moment maintained and that seems to
1: right be your well default. it's yeah, and it's it's ultimately death it's not it's mm-hmm. if uh it's a trap right yeah Right. Yep. Yep. So anyway, yeah, maybe there's a connection between uh Jalinta and Jaterna. And if you're inclined to believe that Jahi in the play, uh whom Jalinta played is Jaturna, then uh this is a light confirmation for you. Or, you know, I don't know. We'll see.
0: So the next line is weird. Um because I <laughs> He says, "Dorcas lifted her small, tragically clean face to mine, <laughs> and I kissed her and felt her press herself to me, trembling with
1: desire." A tragically clean, clean face. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm that one. I'm lost. I don't know. Who, uh, yeah,
1: that's an that's an interesting uh, way to talk about.
0: I'm trying to think. Like tragically clean because because
1: she's been, she been in the water, maybe washed
0: deep- and in the water. Like, is yeah. that what he's referring to? Yeah. It could well be.
1: Yeah. Well, and, you know, that's interesting because she does whisper, I'm so cold. Yeah, I, apparently she's been quietly undressing during her storytelling without Severian realizing it. So uh, we're going to get the sex scene here.
0: Severian says, when I put my cloak about her, her skin felt flushed as my own was from the heat of the blaze. Her little hand slipped under my clothes, caressing me. So good, she said. So smooth. And then the we'd coupled before, wouldn't
1: I be too small? Like a child. <laughs> well, that's kinda of dirty talk from Dorcas, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And it, it also goes back to the whole like yeah, thing about hurting her Yeah. and, yeah. and that he he had Right, few, right. Yeah. I can't think of a metaphorical again, or plot
1: hint in that statement. It's just it's just dirty yeah, talk, we, right? We had, it's a,
0: yeah, and we had problems with that before, and it's just odd that it comes up again.
1: Yeah, so, it's, I don't know. Well, it's, you know it's yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, filthy, filthy Dorcas. <laughs> and, and and she has such a tragically clean face, right. too. <laughs> but you know what? It, it's not clunky prose here, I think. I, I think Wolf pulls off whatever it is he intends. So, But he Severian just skips over the rest.
0: When I woke the moon, it was almost beyond belief that it was the same moon that had guided me through the gardens of the House Absolute, had nearly been overtaken by the mounting horizon of the west. Its berylene light streamed down the river, giving to every ripple the black shadow of a wave.
1: Yeah. So again, we have the idiom of Severian's language that implies knowledge that Severian's own planet is moving, not the celestial objects, right? And the color berylene is a bluish green color. So blue green. The moon is green. Yeah. And the word berylene just, uh, you know, just a gem, beryl. And it's bluish, suggesting the light of the claw. And Severian starts getting inexplicably antsy. He starts thinking, well, um, what if Jalinta is right? What if there are vicious predators in these woods? So he gets up and he checks on Dorcas and then Jalinta and adds more wood to the fire. He thinks about the noctuals. Jonas told him that they were usually sent at night. And then he thinks about the thing in the antechamber. And essentially he's thinking about Haythor whether he knows it or not, even now. And flying overhead are what he calls night birds, Uh, owls, he says. They had those nesting in the Tower of the Spaceships at the Citadel. But also a kind of bird that he doesn't name. Birds marked by their round heads and short, broad, silent wings. And also birds of other kinds with two forked and three forked tails. Birds that stoop to skim the water and twittered as they flew. So let's see. I think these could be nighthawks, which are not hawks, they feed on insects uh, and you know moths and such. Uh, birds with forked tails, I don't know what birds have three forked tails, but the for the two forked tails ones he could be referring to scissor tail flycatchers, which wolf would have encountered in Texas. I don't know we have at least one biologist in the audience. maybe someone could take up a guess as to what these birds are in South America
0: at the very least what this does is very obviously recalls the lake of the birds right like I mean it's we're we're not a lake here we may be on a river mm-hmm.
1: oh yeah, excellent that's really good
0: but with all of Dorcas's concern and worry about water and her fear of the river as a snake, then to spend a whole paragraph here reminding you about birds on the water. I mean, I, I feel like this is just further, further emphasizing. Oh,
1: that's good because we're going to have, we're gonna have the undying come up, and mm-hmm. she's yeah. gonna be from coming from under the water. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, yeah. And
0: mm-hmm. offering again, a different kind of immortality, or right. or at least power or something mm-hmm. like that that comes up. Yeah, so that's what I felt like it was doing, just in a complicated way, right. um, with mentioning all these strange birds, but just seemed seemed like it had to be
1: doing. Yeah, that. I like that. Uh, sometimes Severian sees huge moths fly between the trees, wingspans as long as a man's arms. Not as long as a man's arm, as long as his arms spread out and he says quote, "They spoke among themselves as men do, but in voices almost too high for hearing, that's wild.
0: <laughs> yeah, and hard to know too if he if that's just a poetic way to talk about them,
1: yeah, tittering or
0: singing or, to themselves or, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah yeah, but he's you know obviously it doesn't just sound like a bird singing to him, yeah it sounds like whispering. Right. Mm-hmm. I wonder mm-hmm. if they spoke a language. So, uh, you know, so like the the rats in Alton's library yeah, exactly. really had their own writing. Yeah. If the rats in the in the library were a metaphor, then this could be a metaphor. If that was actual, then this could be actual or not. I presume these are not blood bats. So Severian does you know, Severian stuff. He pokes at the fire. He checks on his sword. <laughs> he stares at Dorcas in her sleep. Quote, looked for a time on Dorcas's innocent face with its great tender eyelashes closed in sleep. Creepy Severian. Yeah. And then he lays down and watches birds, quote, voyage among the constellations. Yeah. Naturally, uh, this makes me think that perhaps those birds flying at night are actually constellations, and that would be cool, but I can't think of any candidates for night birds other than the Noctua constellation. Little owl. Yeah. mm mm-hmm. And then, you know, he's Severian. he lays back and remembers, quote, enter that world of memory that no matter how sweet or how bitter it may be is never wholly close to me. And he thinks about his elevation celebration, but he calls it, quote, that celebration of Holy Catherine's Day that fell the year after I became captain of the apprentices. Yeah, he's just, Gets around to remembering every detail of the preparations of the feast uh, when he gets all these other memories. Actually, it sounds like he starts to half dream, but Severian says it's a memory, just free associating.
0: And he says In our kitchen, I lifted a cup of stolen wine to my lips and found it had become a breast running with warm milk. It was my mother's breast then, and I could hardly contain my elation, which might have wiped the memory away, at having reached back at last to her after so many fruitless attempts. My arm sought to clasp her, and I would, if only I could, have lifted my eyes to look into her face. My mother certainly, for the children the torturers take, no, no breast.
1: Yeah, so Severian said before that when the torturers receive a pregnant client, they open her. And if this is a real memory, then Severian was not born by cesarean section. Yeah. Ironically. Yeah, he was born and his mother was allowed to live long enough to nurse him. And we get other details. Severian can see that he is being nursed in a metal cell. He offers ways that she might die, but this is apparently all... Also- speculation you know he says soon she would be led away to scream in the apparatus or gasp in alwyn's necklace remember the apparatus writes the victim's crimes on Mm. their flesh or whatever and alwyn's necklace just chokes you to death slowly and soon the memory quote faded even as i tried to bind her to me dissolving as a mist does when the wind rises
0: it's weird i wanted at first, to think that that was a Thecla memory that he just got wrong and and couldn't remember, but he does have the the grayness that he assumes is, mm-hmm. is the metal of the cell door. So, yeah, hard to say, hard to say. I mean, he does talk about being Thecla again in just a second, right? And then he has a, a, a memory that switches over to Thecla, but um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, it, at the very least, here in this moment. He's got a new memory of who he thinks is his mom while he's just been with Dorcas. Right. Right. Who is his grandmother. um, But has also been doing all this thinking about death and immortality and, and sort of bad resurrection and something about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think maybe it might even be more Um, as a memory fades, uh, you know, it fades away the way uh, Equaster Malrubius does at the end of Citadel of the Autarch, right? Like a mist. Um, and then next, Severian seems to imply that he has the ability to mark the time of a memory and then he can come back to it at will. And I'll note again that Severian never seems to have done that with any of the memories of the death of Malrubius. And, okay, this is good. In Michael Andre chapter guide of the Book of the New Sun, he suggests that the Feast of Holy Catherine Dissolving into a memory of him feeding at his mother's breast could imply a connection between his mother and holy Catherine. I think that's astute, Uh, which makes the, you know, the next memory interesting as well. The the next memory, he's a little girl again. Oops, this is Thecla's memory.
0: (laughs) I stood in magnificent chamber whose windows were mirrors, mirrors that at once illuminated and reflected. Around me were beautiful women twice my height or more in various stages of undress. The air was thick with scent. I was searching for someone, but as I looked at the painted faces of the tall women, lovely and indeed perfect, I began to doubt if I should know her. Tears rolled down my cheeks. Three women ran to me and I stared from one to another. As I did, their eyes narrowed to points of light in a heart-shaped patch beside the lips of the nearest spread web-fingered wing." <laughs>
1: severian <laughs>
0: All right, so that's that's a strange memory, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is well, is a, this something Thecla? I, yeah, I actually think actually saw.
1: Well, that's a good question. I, I don't know. He seems to we're think also
0: here in a room with mirrors with with mirrors that both illuminated and reflected. Right? Yeah, There's yeah. They're special. They're
1: special special memory mirrors, and not yeah. just like our mirrors. But
0: Yep. And then it seems like these tall women around her were painted but also painted to the point of being perfect which makes it sound almost a little bit more like masks mm-hmm. um, yes. could be so you know i don't know i don't know like what what is being here like it did seem like a moment to me that was suggesting something about the hierodules that you've got you know these three women who ran up to her and then that odd thing of the heart-shaped patch beside the lips of the nearest spread web-fingered wings which is wild is a little bit Angel-like, maybe is it could be a mask coming off to show horrible things. It's just we we never know. We don't get it. Anymore.
1: Well, think about it. Who's going to show up here next? The Undine. So mm-hmm. it's like it's, you have these women uh, mm-hmm. surrounding Thecla. Are they family? I don't know. But he mentions that, that a, a heart-shaped patch on the lips of uh, one of the women spread web fingered wings. And that's, you know, that's the undine, right? That's, she's got all these changes to allow her to, to live in the, uh, in the water. And then he's awakened by someone. But before we follow that, I want to address something. Severian thinks first about the feast of Holy Catherine, which leads him to think about nursing from his mother. And then he thinks about Thecla and if this suggests Holy Catherine and his mother are connected, doesn't the next memory, of course, suggest his mother and Thecla are connected, maybe? And, uh, the, of course, then who are these women? The One of the women, are, um, maybe, seems to imply the undying. So he's looking for someone in this memory, someone among these other women. And the woman he's looking for, Sabarian at least, is his mother. So I want to mention something Gene Wolfe said in an interview in 1983, Thrust Magazine, spring edition. This is the spring after the last volume of the Book of the New Sun came out. Wolfe has been asked to describe Severian, which he does physically and in detail. And then he says, subconsciously, he has been further marked by his loss of his mother in infancy. He has difficulty in forming relationships because of that, although he does sometimes form them, and he tends toward strong erotic attachments to women who subconsciously suggest the mother he lost. On the simplest level, this means toward women who are physically larger than he is. Thea, Thecla, the Undine, and to Jalinta, who has unusually large breasts. Of course, everyone is attracted to Jalinta or at least nearly everyone. On a more subtle level, he is attracted to women who act as guides, agia or counselors, Dorcas. So this is a confirmation that Severian is indeed looking for his mother in all of these relationships.
0: Yeah, and I think that is a good confirmation because I think it's most people probably recognize that (laughs) in some way or another. I mean, we do have the giant woman who sort of pulls him up out of the water at the (laughs) beginning. I mean, if, if nothing else, that, that seems like a sort of weird Mm -hmm. way to remember birth too. the sort of the, the way that something about that very first chapter comes. But yeah, so, so the lost mother and the one that he's kind of looking for in all kinds of different ways, um, we'd have to I mm-hmm. still want to know more about what does that mean that for severian overall and does that have anything to do with his being worthy of the new sun um is that like i don't know uh, but i do I, and you should be happy too that he did specifically mention thea there right
1: i am incredibly happy at that yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: like yes yeah that not just thecla and not just the unnamed but thea too but yeah and i I do like the fact that Wolf was very aware of that uh, and, and was sort of intentionally putting, putting there in there. So it does make me wonder then, like Syriaca and shoot the woman in the other soldier.
1: Well, Syriaca specifically says, I'm old enough to be your mother.
0: Oh, that's true. That is true. Yep. Yep. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about Daria. Daria is another, although she acts as a, yeah. like a guide yeah. or a counselor. Right. Sort of helps and, him out when he yeah. So
0: but no, but yeah. it definitely is something that I think Wolf intentionally wanted for Severian to have. And Wolf also has plenty of other characters who kind of do the same thing. So um mm-hmm. yeah. So what do we make of it though? And the larger
1: Yeah. I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, I don't I well I you know what? I am gonna make something of it, but I probably I don't know am <laughs> I gonna get to it to this episode? I don't know. I I I think I'm I might I'm building towards something here, Craig. I'm building for something. (laughs) You don't build a jenga unless you you know you got to build a base there, or else everything will come tumbling down. But so at this point, someone wakes Severian up, and he says he's quote uncertain of the point at which memory had become dream. So he's thinking, sort of like a memory. He's kind of he's kind of half memory uh, and half dreaming. And he's kind of dreaming about his mother. And guess what happens? He gets waken up from this dream from the undying.
0: He says, he describes her voice. He says, this voice was sweet, yet very deep. And though I was conscious of having heard it before, I couldn't at once recall where. So immediately, weird memory. That's that's weird. The moon was (laughs) nearly behind the western horizon now, and our fire was dying a second death. Dorcas had thrown aside her ragged bedding so that she slept with her sprite's body exposed to the night air. Seeing her thus, her pale skin rendered more pale still by the waning moonlight, save where the glow of the embers flushed it with red, I felt such desire as I've never known. Not when I had clasped Agia to me on the, Ad, the Adamnian steps, not when I had first seen Jolenta on Dr. Talus's stage, not even on the innumerable occasions when I had hastened to Thecla in her cell. Yet it wasn't Dorcas I desired. I had enjoyed her only a short time ago, and though I fully believed she loved me, I could not be certain she would have given herself so readily if she had not more than suspected I had entered Jalenta on the afternoon before the play. And if she had not believed Jalenta to be watching us across the fire.
1: <laughs> so that's an interesting psychological ballet that Severian is entertaining in Dorcas's mind.
0: Yeah, and whether he's right or not, it's a moment where Severian is all kind of distancing himself. Like he's talking about how much he desired her, but he's also doing this weird sort of self-reflection of motives. I'm
1: just like, feeling desire. I'm not desiring anyone. Although yeah. he does, he does kind of break off into the, into the psychology yeah. of, of why they were having sex.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so he keeps going. He says, nor did I desire Jalenta who lay up on her side and snored. Instead, I wanted them both, and Thecla, and the nameless Meritrix who had feigned to be Thecla in the house azure, and her friend who had taken the part of Thea, the woman I had seen on the stair in the house absolute.
1: Yeah, um, a Meritrix is a prostitute. It's Latin for, quote, the one who makes a living in the 70s and 80s. A trendy euphemism for a prostitute was a working girl. So it's the same concept. Uh, in Rome, a Meritrix was a high-class prostitute someone who could afford to obtain a license and pay taxes
0: Hmm. cool so that would that would fit right if she has a brothel then i guess she's higher so uh so he keeps going and asia valeria morwenna and a thousand more i recalled the witches their madness and their wild dancing in the old court on nights of rain the cool virginal beauty of the red robe pelerines
1: yeah he's just crazy for women at this point right? He's just feeling kind of a disassociated desire. He's just ramped up, uh, just desire looking for a focus.
0: And if he is sort of now collapsing all these women into some sort of desire that he has, it fits that it's all kind of like his absent mother, right? Yeah. There's just some thing that's, that's pushing him forward. I think
1: that, yeah, I think that's very perceptive because there's a lot of theorizing that perhaps, uh, the Undine ha- is using some sort of uh, spell to make him crazy with desire, but when he's actually talking to her, you don't get that. Right? He's it's it's kind of waning. After mm-hmm. after he wakes up, he's kind of it, mm-hmm. it, he doesn't talk about that so much. In fact, he's he's not like zombified with desire for the Undine. It's when he wakes up he, after dreaming about his mother that he's just really yeah he's he's rock hard (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: but i'm trying to just thinking about like for wolf to specifically pull out the missing mother like is there something that made severian a better person for desiring his mother or you know, it for, for needing that or for going on a quest to partly no. at least find his mother. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean here it's well it's kind of
1: a it's kind of a Mary thing, right? Like a, a Mary yeah. and, and child. So if you know if he's a Christ figure, then you you, you need a, a Virgin yeah. Mary. Yeah. Right? It could be that. Um, it could very well be that it yeah. could be um it, it certainly says that explains all of these relationships that he's having, that he is in every one of them he's seeing his mother and perhaps he is seeing his mother in more ways than uh, just metaphorically, but he, but in his mind, that's what he is is seeking. Yeah, and yeah. that's that kind of is a window into Wolf's intent in this. Remember, his his own mother was a, was a big influence on himself, apparently, and uh, so in one sense, perhaps this this book is a love letter to his mother.
0: It's a weird love letter, but <laughs> yeah. I do know, uh, I do know lots of people have ideas about Wolf and, and mothers though. There's been in the past, lots yeah. of talk on that, especially on the Facebook group. Well, it's
1: very yeah. Freudian. I mean, he's, he's, he's deliberately dipping into Freudian, uh, psychology here. Oh yeah.
0: Yep. Yep. So we're, let's see, we need.
1: So, on. severian is just full of desire, like I said, but he's not a fool. Well, you know, this time. And he does grab his sword.
0: (laughs) Being filled with desire and grabbing your sword. Yeah, I guess there is something.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But if he could have, uh, you know, he would have preferred to just pretended that he knew where the voice was all along. But he whispers, where are you? Because he doesn't want the, the voice to know that he doesn't know where they are, right? So he says, where are you? And he doesn't hear anything. But a fish jumps out of the water which is actually uh, we realize, has something to do with the fact that there is something in the water, but there's just silence. And then again, he hears Severian, the sandbar.
0: However deep it was a woman's voice throbbing with passion, moist with need. Yeah. (laughs) Moist with being underwater, but but, (laughs) I remember it as and did not sheathe my sword.
1: So uh, Severian has learned. That women can be dangerous. I don't think he thinks this is Asia, though.
0: No, no. But he he just doesn't know, right? Right, right. So creepy voices voices in the middle of the night.
1: Yeah, and so he looks at the river and he sees something about 200 feet from the fire in the water. And, and the voice says, come to me, come, please. I cannot hear you where you stand. This is like a really creepy scene, right? You'd have ominous music going on if this mm-hmm. was a movie or something. And so Variant says... I didn't say anything. <laughs> There's just silence. It's very, it doesn't want to leave Dorcas and Jalenta unguarded. And the, the voices, please, when the sun reaches the water, I must go. There may be no other chance. And so this is like something out of fairy lore or something. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. This is, this is fairy tale sounding. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. Come to the water. Come
1: to yeah. The water. And when the sun comes up, I'll have to leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this little river is wider at, the, a sandbar and it's like, than anywhere else. A sandbar is like a, like, a, like a pier that goes out into the wa- middle of the water and actually mm-hmm. divides the river at one point. And uh, he steps on the, quote, yellow sand of the sandbar, shoeless, shoeless. The water is greenish. On his left, quote, the water gradually narrowed and deepened. To his right, there's a deep pool, 20 paces wide, from which water flowed swiftly yet smoothly. As a variant, he just stands there and says, I'm here. Where are you? Can you hear me now?
0: And then, as though the river itself were replying, three fish leaped at once, then leaped again, making a series of soft explosions on the surface. A moccasin.
1: Uh, that is to is say, like, a, a water moccasin, right? Yeah, a venomous water, water, water snake.
0: A moccasin, his brown back marked with linked rings of golden black, glided up almost at my boot toes. Wasn't he barefoot?
1: Yeah, but he still referred. That's a good point. He is barefoot. He's shoeless. He says shoeless.
0: My boot toes turned as if to menace the jumping fish and hissed, then entered the ford on the upper side of the bar and swam away in long undulations. Through the body, he had been as thick as my forearm.
1: Whoa, (laughs) that's a big old snake. Big snake. Yeah, and the the undine says, do not fear. Look, see me. Know that I will not harm you.
0: Green though the water had been, it grew greener still. A thousand jade tentacles writhed there, never breaking the surface. As I watched, too fascinated to be afraid, a disk of white three paces across appeared among them, rising slowly toward the surface. It wasn't until it was within a few spans of the ripples that I understood what it was, and then only because it opened eyes. Whoa. A face looked through the water at me, the face of a woman who might have dandled ball danders like a toy. Her eyes were scarlet, and her mouth was bordered by full lips so darkly crimson I'd not at first thought them lips at all. Behind them stood an army of pointed teeth. The green tendrils that framed her face were her floating hair.
1: And she says, I've come for you, Sir Varian. You are not dreaming. (laughs) And and that's the end of this chapter. (laughs) Great cliffhanger.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so we do get more than just wandering around the forest.
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's look at things. First of all, first, last time he's seen her, and that's probably where the the most likely uh, idea of where he's heard her voice would be, you know, in the dream, right?
0: In the dream or in, does he, wait, does she speak? in when he almost drowns that's what i
1: oh when he, no she doesn't talk uh, okay yet. i
0: didn't think so i was gonna check real quick okay so yeah so you're right so
1: so what but remember before he encounters her he's dreaming about his mother right mm-hmm. so he's got a voice that's feminine but it's deep well that's mm-hmm. pretty much exactly the way a, a, a woman's voice would sound to a, a little baby right yeah so you know i don't know what to say what, what to make of it at this point but the connection between Severian's mother to the Undine, it it's real, <laughs> and so I once again, you know, if yeah, I'm still thinking about the play, and I am not, you know, Mark's um, clause that he makes a lot of that in reality, I am larger than all of you. I don't think mm-hmm. that means nothing. I don't know what it means at this point. But if I could get like a connection between Juturna and Severian's mother and Agia, and then I would have J- Jahi all figured out because, you know, they'd all kind of go together in some weirdo way. But I can get any two of those to... to to, to, I can draw a connection. I can draw a connection between the Undyne and his mother. I can draw a connection between the Undyne and Aja. And I can actually come up with a story for that. I can come up with a story for Aja and his mother. Actually, I think that's stronger than people realize for a lot of reasons. But I can't do all three. <laughs> I can't. It's kind of just everything just flies off in every direction when I do it that way.
0: One thing that strikes me about this is with all the the sort of mother angle that we've had here. In the play, the big thing with Jahi and Meshi'an is sort of who's going to be the mother of the next round of humanity, right? It's all mm-hmm. about what, like, who, whoever Meshi'a mates with, that's going to determine the character of the next stage of humanity, it seems like. Like, that's, to me, that's sort of the, at least... To me, that it does. I mean, like the, the idea of the first man in.
1: of Earth, I mean, yeah. that and, is an obvious sense. And there is, he does call um, the Contessa daughter. daughter. Yeah. I mean, I've made stuff of that. Yeah.
0: But that's not something we've thought about in terms of, like, who Severian's going to choose. Like, it's not so much, it doesn't ever seem like anything about the new son has quite so much to do with, you know, who does Severian end up with? And we always talk about how Valeria is a bit of a strange bird, (laughs) like, like, why her? (laughs) Um, and it's, it is mysterious no matter what, when you read that about what, why her, and then he doesn't really have much to do with her when you get Earth of the new sun. But I wonder if there is something about Severian's relationship to his mother or who he, what he eventually imagines about her that will determine his course. Um, I'm not sure. I'm just trying to put together some different ideas here. But yeah, I hadn't, I just hadn't thought before. I mean, with Jahi and with Meshian, it really is kind of like a question of two different mothers um, who will treat their kids in different ways or, Mm -hmm. or give them different traits or raise them differently. I don't know. Um, But that's a different angle on the play than I think we've thought of before.
1: Well, Okay, so let's talk about, she says, no, you're not dreaming. And of course, the last time, like I said, last time she's encountered uh, a being like this person, it was in a dream in Baldander's bed. And remember, there was even then a, a pterosaur that told him, you dream, but yeah. were you to wake from your waking, I would be there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. And then Severian, uh, uh, he goes down and he they talk about a, a sand garden, right? Mm-hmm. So we got uh, Severian on the sandbar sand garden he's shoeless like when he gets the claw mm-hmm. right yep. um there's a there's a sand garden in the botanic gardens uh he's has kind of connection to that he's waiting for a woman um th- once again the, the sand garden when he encounters a rose bush and there's and all these things seem connected and I, I just can't say how
0: yeah I hadn't thought about that. Connection, this moment here very much about is similar to that in both the Sand Garden and in and what happens at the end of Citadel with that moment with the rose bush. That's interesting. And waiting yeah. for a woman in this case. And yeah, huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then the next Wolf says that Severian is attracted to women who are physically larger. Mm-hmm. Well, Dude, <laughs> this is like the perfect woman for him. And, and, and finally, like I said, I made a connection between Holy Catherine, Severian's mother, and Thecla, because they do bleed into one another in this memory dream. Mm-hmm. And well, Severian wakes up and he counters the Undyne. Uh, and uh, the Undyne is a perennial candidate for Severian's mother. And there's a good reason. And if Vegas took bets on this sort of thing, I'd put down some money that the Undyne is somehow Severian's mother, just like Thecla is, in a way, Severian's mother. I say, and Asia is somehow Severian's mother. Remember, um, Wolf says that he's attracted to women who act as guides, mm-hmm. but when Severian falls for her, she has not been a guide yet. He just claps eyes on her, and he goes, and he, and he just kind of falls yeah, for her at that moment. True. So anyway, this you know, that's just the way this book is. I do think Severian's mother, the person from whose breast he fed, has died, but how can the Unnine also be Severian's mother? This story is just so complicated. At this time, at this time I can think of only one theory that is universal, solves other issues as well, that's not just a one off to solve one puzzle. And basically an explanation that integrates this illusion into the whole. And that is... Curiositas Earthus. (laughs) My false thecla theory, which you can find at the Patreon site with the other theories I've posted up there. Just like the first Severian Malrubius theory. Uh, My false... Thecla theory says that the exultants are a line of clones. Each is born with a twin, and from those twins, they're chosen at random. The exultant and the kybit are selected, and the, the exultant is wealthy and influential, and the kybit has no rights as a person, like Erne Smith in *A Borrowed Man*. Severian's so mother was a kybit in this theory, and Thecla and False Thecla are the next generation of their line. Thea is Thecla's half sister because they were. They're both clones of separate lines from two actual sisters. So Thecla is, in a sense, Severian's mother and his sister. And here's where I bring in the Undyne. She's from the same clonal line. That's why, you know, Thecla is going into this room full of women, and she's looking for someone. And then she encounters a woman who kind of suggests the Undyne. And so she's either an exultant or, and I like this one better, another runaway (laughs) Kaibit. That's
0: it. That's interesting. I mean, I think we always forget that this Undine might be someone else, right? It, it, it doesn't mean that she's always been this way for hundreds of years that yeah, the Undine could have been someone else. Um, Hmm.
1: Someone can move into the past. Someone we've actually meet could move into the past and become mm-hmm. the undying. Hmm.
0: And so even though the name Juturna is what name she has in Earth, I'm curious, is there some other connection or some other meaning of Juturna? Um, hmm.
1: Everyone kind of wants to do a connection to to Diaterna, like Diaterna the Lake yeah. Diaterna. and because they, they, the, the idea is that maybe they actually which could, could theoretically be pronounced the same way. Um, but that doesn't really get me anywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know what off the top of my head. I'm not, I don't know to do that either. Yeah. But no. So because this undine is not a buy right? This is right. not this the is mega just a, this a bride. Is, this is one of them and she's been sent to follow. And them. she's
1: still trying to grow large enough to mate with a buy Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Interesting. So that opens up some different possibilities. Yeah, I have no conclusions for all of this right now um, for myself, but the question of Severian's mother is getting Mm -hmm. a little more interesting because before I think I'd I'd always kind of thought of it as, oh, well, once you find out Dorcas is his grandmother, then all this other stuff, you got to figure out who his family is too. And he talks about Holy Catherine. But now I think I'm starting to see that as much more central to a lot of stuff about Severi, not just as a puzzle to solve, but why his mother and why all these mother figures are so important and all the ways that, you know, like you say that, that these characters may be his mother in some sense. Yeah. Yeah. And where that line between literal and metaphorical is, I don't know. And maybe it's messy. Yeah.
1: It's not clear. Oh, definitely.
0: Um, interesting. Okay. I wasn't expecting to get all that out of this chapter, but that's that's pretty cool. Okay. All right. And yeah, I got to really think more about Severian and yeah, what why his mother is so central to this story. Yeah. If it is.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it But it definitely is. So you you can you have to think about why, but there's no question that she is, right?
0: I want to go back to that dream too now and see the dinosaur as <laughs> the pterosaur or whatever. <laughs> mother, hmm.
1: I, yeah, I can't actually get to what that means. You know, if you were not, if you were to wake up, I would still, I would be yeah. real.
0: And is that that, <laughs> so, is it that voice that he says he's heard before or is it his mother's well, she, voice? Well, he
1: does hear yeah. them talking to him under the yeah. water, right? So mm, that could, could be, be the that, yeah. be the voice or it could be his mother's voice. He's my, mm. I'm just saying. Anyway. Well, that's what we got. Can you help? Well, if you can, <laughs> bring it to the Facebook group, to the subreddit, to Twitter, email, the Patreon site, the Master Slack channel. You can find out how to do all that on the show notes. Leave a Apple podcast or Stitcher review. Tell your wolf-freeing friends. And until we take up Severian's conversation with a giant undersea woman, may the moria favor you. Hi, Mom. In
0: case you ever listen,
1: (laughs) that is unlikely. Okay, now we're doing the parting, is that right? We've already done
0: Uh did we wait, did we do parting already or isn't it is it toward Thrax that we're doing? Did
1: we do the did, but we I think we think we've already recorded um Did we do parting?
0: Wait, let me check. Did we or did we not? I thought
1: we did two chapters. Did we or did we not? Uh
0: There it is. Yep. Yeah, cuz oh, you yeah. gave me this one and the next one. So okay um yeah because i knew you'd been like i know you're working ahead so, okay yeah all right, all right. A, this is a this is a short chapter but yep.
1: yes it is yeah mercifully Yep.
0: Yeah. that's all right all right oh, are you there oh shoot i lost you oh no
1: oh you went away i'm not hearing you i hate to say this do you hear me how would you say <laughs> do, do, do. Oh, can you hear me you there
0: Oh, there we are. Okay, hold okay. on. I'm a, I, I that was mine. My whole internet went away for a second. Let me hit stop and Same. and uh, hold on. Crap. Of course, the minute I say that, it, ah, it jumps out of my name. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Come hold on, hold on. Christmas.
1: Finished and, and put up there. I don't know if you're going to have time yep. to get to it. If you do, yep. Oh yeah. Otherwise, I can do it.
0: No, I'll get it. That I can definitely do, and I need the. That's. That'll be a nice rote thing that I can do and have a concrete end to, unlike all the stuff at work right now, which is so. Yeah. And
1: let's see, on Twitter, Simpleton. Oh, wait, 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 hang on. Maybe not, hold on.